We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Ross Feingold. Good evening. And from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing Taiwan People's Party Chairman and Presidential Candidate Kerwin Zhe visiting Japan this week. American Institute in Taiwan Chairwoman Laura Rosenberger making her second visit here since March, this time to meet with the candidates in next year's presidential election. The government facing questions about its energy policy from Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing and the American Chamber of Commerce and Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Chi-mai facing questions from ChatGPT. But we'll begin with President President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday announcing that the government plans to draft a series of gender equality reforms. Now, the move comes amid a recent spate of sexual harassment accusations involving politicians from both the ruling and opposition parties. Now, taking to her Facebook page, Tsai said that Premier Chen Zhenren has been tasked with leading a government review of the issue and proposing reforms in three major areas. Now, according to Tsai, Chen will draft guidelines based on international law and consultations with experts, clearly defining what constitutes sexual harassment, which can be used for reference and educational purposes in schools and in the workplace. Chen has also been tasked with reviewing Taiwan's current sexual harassment reporting mechanisms and strengthening or building public powers to intervene in cases where harassment accusations are not being adequately handled by employers. And she went on to say that the government will also review and propose amendments to strengthen the Gender Equity Education Act, and it's hoped that lawmakers will give that priority in the next legislature legislative session. Now, those Facebook posts came days after President Tsai Ing-wen apologised again on social media for the DPP's mishandling of these sexual misconduct complaints. Now, I'm not going to get into uh, all of these recent incidents and we're not going to go into detail about them for obvious reasons, but they do include the resignation of the DPP's Deputy Secretary General, Xu Jia-tian, amid controversy that she failed to take the proper action after a former party worker reported being sexually harassed. Former Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Zhu condemned Deming an alleged incident involving former DPP Central Executive Committee member Hong Jia Kun after he faced allegations of sexually harassing a woman in 2010 when he served as the director of Chen Zhu's mayoral election campaign office. Now National Policy Advisor to President Tsai Ing-wen, Yen Jia resigned after being accused of sexual harassment by a former worker at a support club for Tsai in Taipei. And the KMT is vowing to investigate allegations of sexual harassment against former Hualien County Chief Fu Quanchi. So, Ross, a bit of embarrassment for the government and making these announcements on social media. I got problems with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it probably uh, would have been more effective to, frankly, hold a press conference. But uh, President Tsai has been so reluctant to hold press conferences in, in recent years. Uh, there was the pandemic as an excuse for a while, but that's no longer an excuse. And she, she's had a couple in the last six months. But uh, the, the media is not not particularly tough. Uh, even the media that you would normally think is uh, think of as antagonistic to the government. Uh, so, so from one perspective, Gavin, and to to agree with what you said, like she doesn't actually have to be afraid of of a press conference. So, yeah, it, it would have been better uh, uh, to to have a presser. Uh, she cannot avoid the fact that 
uh, insofar as these incidents occurred at the party and involved party staff or people associated with the party. Uh, you know, you mentioned this, this supporters uh, organization, you know, so it's kind of like an affiliated organization. Uh, she was in charge. She was the chairman um, for, for a portion of that time or much of this time. Uh, so she can't avoid that. Uh, unfortunately, it also diverts a lot of it, you know, her time as well as Vice President Elias' time because he's the current chairman of the party. Uh, and he's had party leadership positions uh, during most of this time as well. So that, that, that's also another aspect of this. You know, our, two of our most important leaders are, are uh, spending time on this instead of spending time on keeping the country safe or, or uh, keeping the economy growing and other important uh, matters of national policy. Uh, as, uh, with regard to you know, the way forward and these uh, initiatives that she mentioned that she's tasked uh, Premier Chen with, as, as if you know, he doesn't already have a full agenda of, of things to do, um, you know, as a lawyer, and actually, as somebody who who, who lectures uh, both to corporates as well as to students in Taiwan about sexual harassment, uh, workplace online sexual harassment, uh, the, the this is kind of a waste of time what she's proposing because actually. The issue here, as is often the case, I'll, I'll make an analogy to, uh, and this is something that comes up, uh, uh, sadly, comes up several times a year here on Taiwan this week. That's when there's a, a traffic accident of some sort. So I'll make the analogy. And we discover that uh, the company involved, uh, the labor union involved, the regulator that's involved, they all have applicable laws and internal regulations to to be following. And, and then inevitably, we find out that they weren't followed. Somebody was working too many hours. A, a repair wasn't done when it was supposed to be done or a periodic maintenance. Uh, an inspection by a regulator was, was deficient for reasons that might include corruption or just laziness. Uh, so the point I'm making is when it comes to uh, sexual assault, certainly, uh, but even sexual harassment, uh, there are laws. The organizations do have mechanisms. And that's one of the problems here with what happened at the Democratic Progressive Party. They actually had mechanisms. They had reporting mechanisms. So the issue often, uh, unfortunately, is organizational, uh, and then you could fill in the blank with your favorite criticism, right? Organizational stupidity, organizational laziness, organizational corruption, ignorance, whatever you want to say. But very often organizations do have mechanisms to deal with this. They, they just, uh, you know, in this case, there was, as they call it in Mandarin, on, right? That, that we just wanted to bury the matter. We didn't, you know, we don't want to get the person in trouble. Just, just, uh, oh, just take it, right? You know, you're, you're it's just unfortunately it's an unfortunate part of the workplace you just have to take it you just have to suffer through it but but uh, keep your mouth shut uh so we bury the case or or the investigations uh, uh very often they'll turn on the victim right well did you lead them on uh you know victims often get get uh, uh accused of that and that, that's also one one among a number of reasons why people uh, don't want to make a complaint within an organization uh, I'll, I'll refer back to my experience uh, giving lectures about this topic to organizations in Taiwan. I'll ask them, uh, uh, do you know 
whether or not your organization has some kind of regulation. Uh, and I know the answer. I know that the organization does have some kind of procedure or regulation on this topic. And whether I'm talking to a corporate employees or students, they, they look at me blankly. They say, we have no idea. So, well, do you know where the where this information might be found, you know, buried somewhere in a, a human resources website or uh, for if it's a school somewhere in the school secretariat's webpage? Uh, and, and they look at me blankly. They have no idea. I say, well, do you know the helpline, the telephone number? or the email address to report a complaint. No, no one has any idea because the organizations give no training, right? So, there, so there's a cultural problem, right? So an organization as large as the DPP probably should have been giving its employees and supervisors training you know, once a year. You refresh it, right? Because employees leave, you get new employees, and, and you train them on what is harassment. You tell people what the reporting system is. You say you have a zero tolerance policy. You 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 would you know you you make that very clear to to everyone that from the lowest employee to the ch- to the chief to the boss, we have a zero tolerance policy. So there's an organizational problem in Taiwan. It's really not a question of rewriting the laws. Yeah, the uh, the saddest thing for me with that particular case that you brought up, Gavin, was that uh, allegedly the the woman who was harassed went to the DPP woman who I think was in charge of actually the one who's supposed to file the report, and this person said, "Well, why didn't you scream? Why didn't you say something?" You know, like you would think that we would be beyond that um, level of ignorance at this point, um, because you know the Me Too movement has been going on for a very long time, but apparently we are still. Um, not quite uh, um, over that uh, hill. So America began uh, looking into this you know, around 2016. We had a presidential candidate make some very uh, unpresidential un- remarks about uh, his ability to harass women. And then you had a Fox News uh, anchor make accusations. But of course, the, the big one was uh, Harvey Weinstein in 2017. So, you know, from that time, and it wasn't only America, it was the English-speaking world, you could say. You know, there were some incidents in Canada and, and in the U.K., Wales, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, from that time, that part of the world has had a lot of opportunity to talk about and look at and decide, uh, figure out what, what does. And in the end, the, the answers that, that we learned was that, you know, they're really sometimes is no black and white, it's gray, and that things need to uh, be... I know it's nice to have a set of of policies, but it also, we need to uh, accept that sometimes it's it's a question. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because um, think about 2002, when we had the famous uh, incident of Tu Xingzhe, uh, the, uh, at the time he was some sort of health minister, and he was accused of, um, somebody accused him of licking their ear and um, other nasty things while they were uh, drunk in a, in a, a KTV. And uh, he did not resign. He re- said he was innocent. And it came out uh, five days later that there was another individual who also was named Tu, uh, I think even the same tone, but a different character. So these two Tus were uh, in the same place at the same time, and the guy got it wrong. And um, we do need to, um, making sure we give the, the benefit of the doubt for evidence. So I'm not in any way arguing that, you know, what, what we've had recently is not sexual harassment. It absolutely is. But I've found that the 
reaction from the government um, back during the Me Too movement in the West was that they went out and produced a bunch of stickers, and they put them on the walls everywhere, in elevators and schools, with some, like, cartoon mascot saying, you know, no sexual harassment, which is basically the equivalent of South Park's sexual harassment panda. And then they sort of declared a victory, like, we've gotten over that, you know, it's done. Obviously, it isn't, and we've got, as Ross pointed out, huge cultural reforms that need to happen all across uh, industries and uh, and government and all of this. But, of course, um, I worry that we will overcorrect because that's what generally happens in these situations. And we learned these sort of lessons in America as well. We learned, number one, that uh, powerful people can commit very horrible acts without resorting to violence of any sort, that uh, we should believe victims, especially when there's multiple victims. And then we also learned other things, such as going out on a date with someone who then expresses a wish to go home and have a cup of tea, uh, you know, hint, hint, and then you're not interested. That's not sexual harassment. That's just uh, a bad date or an unwanted uh, uh, um, situation. Um, we also learned that um, a guy calling somebody up in the middle of the night and uh, making grotesque sounds, okay, that's a pervert, uh, but you can hang up the phone. So... It's really a, a huge uh, amount of information that needs to be digested and learned, and the English-speaking world has had quite a few years to uh, think about this and talk about this, and uh, has made some progress, but still, you know, is, is not there yet. So we're going to need a very robust uh, conversation and debate about this, and I fear overcorrection, because I wonder if, like, the Tushingza case, for example, if that were to come out, today. I wonder if he wouldn't have just been fired immediately. And then I also worried that the victim in this case, the victim came out and said, oh, I was wrong. I got the wrong two. It was another guy who also wore glasses and, and named he. And the second guy was actually convicted of sexual harassment. I worried that that victim in this uh, current era maybe wouldn't have uh, had the courage to come out and say it was wrong because of, uh, you know, just sort of an overcorrection. So it's a very complicated issue. Um, I agree with government that they need to set this up better. Um, Ross's comments are right on. But uh, yeah, so many shades of grey, unfortunately. Uh, Michael, how do you think this will resonate with voters? That's a good question um, that I haven't really given much thought to because... Um, in the past, when we've had various other situations like this, it has not, in my opinion, had any resonance whatsoever uh, with the voters. And because we're getting party uh, people from t both parties, you know, there was a, a KMT guy, I think, convicted yesterday, the day before, sent uh, 80,000 NT to, for some disgusting comment on the, the, the floor of the legislative UN. And then you had the case that uh, Ross and you brought up earlier. So I think uh, at least from my perspective, I think most voters would probably not blame one particular party for this, and I think they do understand that it's more of a systemic issue. I don't know what Ross thinks. Well, the polls have consistently had Lai Ching to William Lai ahead. Uh, I don't think this uh, set of allegations against the DPP is going to dramatically change his lead in the polls for a variety of reasons. Uh, although, as I, I said earlier, he's been part of the party leadership uh, in recent years. Uh, when these incidents occurred, he was not the chairman. Uh, so, uh, when and if necessary, he'll 
sort of remind everyone of that and say, uh, you know, we're really sorry about what happened. Oh, by the way, I wasn't chairman. It was, you know, that other person who's, whose term is about to end as, pre- as president. Uh, so uh, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as, as he's going to blame shift, but he will remind people that uh, under my administration of the party, we're we're, do, we're making changes. And you know, yeah, if there's know. an accusation against Lai himself, you know, then <laughs> then yes, the polls may change. But other than uh, that, I, I doubt it. Uh, also, though, frankly, uh, uh, I I have not polled 23 million people, but please, who in the, in the audience at least really thinks that? Uh, uh, the Gobi Dog, the Chinese Nationalist Party, to a lesser extent, the Taiwan People's Party, it, you know, which only has a few years of, of history. Who, I mean, who out there doesn't think that the other parties have these incidents lurking? And, and yeah, there's already been a few, uh, not necessarily in the quantity. Oh, what a horrible thing uh, to have happened. The quantity of incidents uh, being alleged against uh, people associated with the DPP, whether employees or you know, the presidential advisor uh, uh, but but again I mean, who doesn't think that that the the Gomindag, uh, the nationalist party has has a number of uh, as we say in mandarin way uh, down these unexplo- unexploded ordnance in this issue uh, whether in recent years or going back uh, many years uh, you know this is a party with uh, a rather colorful history, and that does include a number of uh, people who are, are basically known uh, perverts. And on that note, we'll move on very quickly. And Taiwan <laughs> People's Party chairman and presidential candidate Ko wen was in Japan this week to, in his words, get a better understanding of, well, Japan and discuss issues of mutual concern. Now, he held talks with a former prime minister. He held talks with lawmakers and members of Taiwan-friendly parliamentary groups. And he met, well, Taiwanese expats there. And he also said some things to the press. One of those things being he has no plans to meet with China's Xi Jinping just for the sake of it. And he said that if such a meeting were to take place, there must be a clear aim for such talks. He also said that adherence to the 1992 consensus is rather difficult, as China has never clearly stated its interpretation, and if elected president, he will ask Beijing to explain its interpretation of said consensus. But it was his comments about sovereignty of the Diaoyutai Islands that caused jaws to drop here in Taiwan. Uh, I, I'm going to have to uh, uh, object slightly to to what you said because this is also part of how they're trying to walk it back. Uh, and, and, and I know uh, former America chairman of the TPP really wants a do-over on this one for sure. Uh, but this is why uh, I always say that Taiwan politicians don't need to do these uh, foreign trips because there's more risk than reward. And it keeps happening. Every time they go overseas, they screw something up like what happened with, with Ko Wen-Jia. But, but the, the the walk back that they're trying to do is he said we don't really need the rocks or the land so much as we just want the access to the fishery so the walk back is well we didn't say we're giving up the sovereignty claim we just kind of referred to those the 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 land the rocks and so you know we don't really need that that's not really the priority so they're, they're trying to make that distinction now uh, but uh, uh, politically that was a that was a mistake right you know no politician says that and uh, Amazing! He finally got Hoyoe and Hoyoe's team to wake up from their you know seven month slumber that began after he was reelected, and he basically you know didn't want to say he he'd like to be the presidential candidate uh, because uh, Hoyoe's team you know very quickly 
using the time uh, standards that we've become accustomed to from Team Ho, they very quickly issued a statement. And uh, it's no surprise because one would expect the Chinese Nationalist Party to react this way because if the, the Chinese Nationalist Party is not going to defend the historical uh, uh, sovereignty claims of the Republic of China. They might as well close the lights and you know go out of business. Uh, so they finally woke up and said something. Uh, uh, it, it, this just doesn't go down well with the public because no matter whether you, you want the Republic of China to retake the mainland or you want to declare Republic of Taiwan, a new country, uh, there's very few people here who, who are walking around saying, like, yeah, we could give up some sovereignty claims. I, you know? I would like to object to your comments. I see a very hungry effect here. He came down to Kaohsiung and he told us that we were poor and um, uh, miserable and we didn't have jobs. And instead of rejecting him, the people said, you know what, you're right. I think that uh, Coenza has said things that are just true and are, you know, inconvenient truths. If you polled anybody under 30 and you asked them about the Diaoyutai Islands, they don't give a hoot. But here's and we the really thing. Don't no, need them. No, but here's the thing, right? Because uh, people under thirty are not fishermen, and the people down in Gaoxiong are not we, the, are we not do the need fishermen. The right to fish there, and that's what Ke said. Yeah, but, but fishing rights, and we're cool. We don't need these islands. But but, uh, but no, 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 no. Fishermen uh, uh, are attuned to these issues because they have to deal with them, right? They have to deal with competing law, yes. law enforcement agencies from Japan, from China, but from Taiwan. But only people who are, you know, I guess at this point in their 70s or who back in the 90s were willing to take their boats up there and jump into the ocean with an ROC flag to plant it on the islands. You know, that's the only crew that really takes this seriously. No, so no, that, that's Co actually where really I'm disagreeing with you. No, no, no. For being a talking truth to power individual, he doesn't do it very well necessarily, but he has, in my view, the greatest opportunity for growth because if he's on the stage with all uh, other candidates, he might be able to just repeat some things that are, you know, true, and we don't feel that way. And his other comment about uh, the 1992 consensus, he also, in my view, went with a truth. Taiwan went ahead and we did define um, what we thought of as the 92 consensus. It's not acceptable to the majority of people in Taiwan anymore, but it, China hasn't, and he would like a clarification. This seems totally rational and logical to me. So I don't get why he is being dinged for gaffes. I think that it's just his presentation and his lack of uh, international, uh, but I, I don't get it. I don't understand the criticism because what he's saying is, in my view, true. And Ross, I mean, do you think his comment about not wanting to meet Xi Jinping without a real reason for a meeting was a bit of a dig at a former president here? Definitely. I, I would just file this more under, uh, have, haven't really thought through how I'm going to present these, these issues. Uh, uh, he's got some thoughts about what his China policy might be, and it might sort of include the 92 consensus or a 96 consensus, as some people have started to, to refer, or what some people start to refer to. Uh, it may include dialogue. It, it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to emphasize uh, the same things that the DPP does or the, the Goldmindang does. It, 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 to me, it still comes across as, as a work in progress that's kind of built around uh, it's okay to talk. Uh, but I, I just don't see the gaffe. I don't see anywhere. I think people are mis 
uh, as, as George Bush would have said, uh, misunderestimating him. Um, he, he, he's just he's do, in, doing a rather good job, in my opinion. And yes, I think that was a direct ding to Ma Ying Zhou, who was the last uh, KMT president, and he did meet uh, with Xi Jinping, which accomplished absolutely nothing. And he's sort of just telling everybody that I'm going to use common sense and just basic logic to deal with this stuff. He's a doctor. He's, he's not into uh, polished professionalism, and that's clear. He's not very good at it necessarily, but he's not stupid. And if you're uh, talking to some of these younger folks who are following the election, there's some of them at least that I've talked to are starting to move in the direction of like, well, yeah, um, yes, true. And, you know, do not underestimate the Hangulu effect of telling the truth and having voters go, well, damn, yeah. The problem is uh, you're not his spokesman. So, uh, you know, his messaging just, unfortunately, comes out a bit garbled uh, very often. That's his yes. style. But, 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 you, but, can, but, you can say that the way he speaks, you know, the way he dresses, <laughs> a little uh, cell phone thing, a uh, belt too high. Okay. Well, that's, a know, pers- that's a bit personal. That's a bit personal. Very superficial. <laughs> uh, but but, but the, you, at some point, you got, you, you know, this is politics. You have to condense these things down to a message that people understand. And at some point, uh, the expectation is the Dong and Hoyo they're going to say like, uh, you know, even though they don't want to admit it, they're going to still say that our, our policy is, is, is the 92 yeah, consensus. And, and they can say that. And then Co will say, well, where has that gotten you in the past X amount of but, years? But the problem is Co still hasn't condensed what his policy down policy is down to something that, that uh, people can no, understand. No, he hasn't. But he's thrown truth bombs out there, which have been truthful. <laughs> it's really refreshing to hear somebody make a comment. You know, we've been stuck in this, this hamster wheel of going around and around and around. Both the KMT and the DVP espouse things that they don't actually believe. And this is just truth. And here we have somebody coming up with something that is, well, it's not uh, constitutional, definitely. You know, the ROC claims those islands, so technically it's, uh, you know, that's you're, you're, it's true. But we are not interested in getting into an argument with Japan over the Diaoyutai Islands. We don't care. If Taiwanese fisher people are allowed to fish there freely, that's not a problem. Also, we shouldn't meet Xi Jinping for no good reason. And China should definitely tell us what their thoughts are on this so that we can either uh, have some conversations about it or reject it entirely. I just don't get why the media um, is giving Ke this sort of... Um, just constant, uh, oh, this guy again, another gaffe. No, he's telling the truth, and I'm going to stick with that. And we'll take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week Now. An American Institute in Taiwan chair, Laura Rosenberger, popped into the island this week on what was her second trip here since she assumed her post on March the 20th. And speaking to reporters shortly after arriving, she told them that she's looking forward to further engaging with leaders from across Taiwan's political spectrum this week and plans to spend time with each of the declared presidential candidates. Now, Rosenberger met with the DPP's Lai Ching De in Tainan this week in front of the, well, the quite nice-looking Chi Mei Museum down there before they took an amble down the main boulevard to the museum's main entrance and then they took a group photo in front of the building and it held 
closed-door talks after that. They also went to the Jerkan Low to eat dinner, if you're interested. Now, Rosenberger also met with the KMT's presidential candidate, Ho Yo Wee, on Wednesday evening at the new Taipei City Hall before they popped off to the city's Pingxi district and released some Sky Lanterns. Now, as we're recording this show, she has yet to meet with Kerwin Jur, but apparently that could be taking place today, maybe after you've listened to the show. Well, America, or former America chairman of the TPP, just came back from his eventful trip to Japan. Uh, and uh, maybe he's taking Michael's advice and you know, trying not to make any more gaffes and, uh, <laughs> uh, or figuring out his media strategy for what he says when he meets Rosenberger. Uh, my, my view uh, is that this trip was unnecessary. It's a waste of uh, uh, resources. Uh, there's already AIT personnel here in Taiwan that the candidates could meet with. And then from the other perspective, uh, it, it proves again that there's no need for the candidates to go to Washington, D.C. and you know try and uh, uh, prove how much love they get from the United States Congress or the United States uh, federal government agencies because uh, these U.S. government officials are coming here anyway. Hey, look, this is all just part of uh, Taiwan presidential election season. Uh, uh, you know, you just go through the motions. Right? AIT comes here, make a big to do about uh, are the, uh, is AIT endorsing one of the candidates? Uh, my personal view is the U.S. is very comfortable with with William Lai being elected the next president. There's nothing Hoyoe or Koenja can do at this point in time to change that. Um, and then we, uh, for those of you who use Twitter, you'll see that Rosenberger has tweeted a lot about some touristy things that, that she's been doing, which, again, I think shows that uh, uh, this is probably more optics than actual substance. And, and another reason why I say that, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, according to uh, the information from uh, Mara Ho's team, uh, they, they said, oh, we had a very lengthy closed-door meeting with Rosenberger. Uh, and, and then there was this long list. I found this quite quite hilarious, actually. There was this long list of, of people from the new Taipei city government, heads of all these departments, who were in the meeting. Right? So on the one hand, they're saying, well, you know, it was a really deep conversation about uh, uh, Taiwan-China relations and the big, important issues of the day. Uh, but then in the meeting, it was like, you know, the, the head of the, 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 the city government's transportation agency, education agency, environmental protection, you know, as if Rosenberger came here to find out about how, you know, how many roads have been repaired in New Taipei or, you know, what the latest thing they're doing in the elementary schools to, to educate young children in New Taipei. So to the extent that all these other people were in the room and, and if they got a chance to speak and, 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 and you know, proclaim how uh, what a great job they're doing in their various municipal agencies, then, then that that uh, reduces the time that Rosenberger and, and Maraho were actually talking about you know the really big issues like, yeah. uh, which she came here to talk about, which was you know, sir, what is your China policy? I think you're sort of missing the point. Um, just la- yesterday, the director down here in Kaohsiung, uh, Thomas Wong, he sat down with me for more than an hour uh, for my podcast, Formosa Files. And, uh, you know, this is the first time that this has occurred where a branch chief did that. And I believe the head in Taipei is going to also uh, speak with ICRT soon. So uh, for the past year, we've been hearing a lot about, you know, Ukraine, China, da-da-da, and 
One of the things that uh, the director down here wanted to reiterate over and over again is how rock solid the commitment to Taiwan is. So, yeah, you can criticize all the people in the room or all of this and unnecessary, but this is an election year, and this is symbolism. They are looking to soothe nerves and reinforce the idea that America is actually committed to Taiwan, because there's been questions over the past year. If China invaded, would uh, America really come to our rescue, blah, 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 polls taken and all the rest of this? So, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't like uh, the wasted time or the wasted trips, but there's a reason for this, and it's not totally hot air. Sorry, I don't understand how how America reinforces its message that it's committed to Taiwan by Mayor Ho having his education or transportation or environmental protection uh, uh, agency heads in the room. It doesn't. But <laughs> her point in coming here is not really to talk to anybody. It's just to give a general comment from the U.S. government of, you can count on us. And here was a comment, Ross, from her. The United States will not take sides and we oppose outside interference or influence in Taiwan's elections. Profound. <laughs> well, we can count on, count on her that, <laughs> you know, not, not to interfere in the election. We'll take her uh, at her word. Uh, but uh, again, I, I think the United States is, is quite supportive of, of William Lai being elected also, the next president. And I, I think you should remember that it's quite a long ways until January, and writing off Ho or Ke is very, very um, too early. And she'll probably come back between now and then, Ross, probably. Yeah, but I don't think she's going to endorse or, or, or say anything no. to, to show favoritism towards the other candidates. So it, it's not a question of me writing them off, Michael. It's it's you know, what signals is the U.S. sending? And the US no, you were said, talking about polls earlier and how you don't see how it's possible for that to change. I certainly see how that's possible to change. And talking about writing things off now, well, the government's energy policy was questioned this week from two quarters. Firstly, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Chairman Mark Leo on Tuesday told a shareholders' annual general meeting that the company will be unable to achieve carbon neutrality by 2030 because of a scarce supply of renewable energy in Taiwan. And a day later, the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan released its 2023 white paper in which it warned that Taiwan has fallen far behind schedule in its efforts to significantly increase the country's renewable energy supply. So there you go, Ross. The government taking flack from Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing its great friend and great saviour, and the American Chamber of Commerce in Taipei. Of course, it's an American group, so again, one could argue it's great saviour. This is going to be on William Lai, uh, because President Tsai has pretty much entered her lame duck period. Uh, there's not much more she could personally do to change where we are on, on, on the energy mix. You know, she's implemented a large number of policies, uh, Notable one among them is the offshore wind, which is coming online. Uh, it's not has not met its targets. Uh, the other government does like to say uh, one of their main talking points. To be fair to them, is that last year renewables did uh, contribute more to the energy mix than than nuclear for the first time, um, and the nuclear looks set to go offline within the next few years. That doesn't appear to change either. But again, that would be on William Lai, right? And he's, he kind of recently issued some mixed messaging about that, that, oh, well, we could keep the nuclear for an emergency. I'm not sure how that works practically. Uh, you know, either you're using it or you're not. Uh, these things are very expensive to maintain. It's very difficult to have some kind of, uh, we'll, main, we'll keep it uh, in the background just in case we really need it. Uh, 
so it, it's on him. Uh, it's on him to say, I have a vision. I'm, uh, I could manage this issue based on my extensive experience in government as vice president, as premier. Um, and he's, to be fair, but also to put a challenge to him, compared to the other candidates, he's the man on this issue, right? If, if we were questioning the three of them right now and said, what's your energy policy? I would expect uh, William Lai to be able to give a, a very detailed answer, again, because he's, he's dealt with these issues uh, quite directly. And Mayor Ho and former America simply have not. Uh, but but it's up to to lie uh, to instill confidence uh, in the business community, whether that's uh, important local company like TSMC or uh, foreign uh, companies, uh, which AmCham represents many, uh, or the voters, uh, because we're we're, we're going to get some messages from the Nationalist Party and the Taiwan People's Party about this issue. But uh, you know, it's hard to be confident that we're going to hear something that's other than just uh, slogans and uh, criticizing the government, but but uh, will will reflect an absence of an actual policy direction. So, Michael, I mean, do you think the government there could be left a bit embarrassed by the double whammy from the American Chamber and TSMC? I hope so, um, because, again, this is more truth, and it's a fact. We have not kept up with the pace that has been promised, the Taiwanese people, I, they, they, they voted in a referendum, and I respect that, even though I disagree with what they decided. Um, but were they perhaps not given the full um, truth before they made that choice? Um, did the government hype things that uh, were not realistic, and now they're paying the cost for it? So... Um, yeah, it's wonderful that we are getting more um, wind and solar and all of this. It's, it's obviously what we would like. I don't think anybody uh, is you know, hoping that uh, this fails, but it's been extremely slow, and we could do better. I've, I've got plenty of people down here in Kaohsiung. There's a good connection of, of, of uh, uh, renewable energy companies down here, uh, Germany, all sorts of other places. But... Um, we just haven't moved fast enough. Uh, perhaps not enough money has been put into it. Not In any case, uh, if you talk to some of these people, they will be very, very critical of how the situation has uh, worked out so far. So, yeah, I hope they are embarrassed, and I hope they do better. And before we go this week, Kaohsiung City Councillor Guo Meng made history on Monday after becoming the first elected local official in the city to question a mayor using chatbot chat GPT. Now, Guo broadcast a video during the day's city council hearing of text and data prompts he gave to the program's GPT-4 model concerning Taiwan's low birth rate and ageing population. Now, that prompt produced a 960-word response in some 30 seconds. And the response basically said that an average of 14.4 elementary schools are closed every year in Taiwan, including three schools every two years in Kaohsiung, and it cited additional data on declining national and local birth rates. And then it went on to urge the mayor to put forward strategic policies to reverse the trend. Now, of course, Michael, do you think, obviously it was talking about something serious, but do you think this using chat GPT to question an elected official is starting a new trend. Will it start a new trend? Will lawmakers simply stay at home and uh, chat GPT their questions in? 
I don't really care. I think it's a, a, a gimmick that was interesting and uh, got news. What I care about is actually the questions that were being given to him and the policies that we have for the low birth rate in Taiwan. So it's, again, time for some truth. The truth is that younger people in Taiwan are not going to have significant numbers of babies because they don't want to, and we shouldn't force them to do so. You can try to incentivize them as much as you want. 10,000 NT for, you know, diapers or this, that, and the other uh, candidates are talking about. Ling Dao Liu Sui, government raises kids. But the fact of the matter is things are changing. The modern generation doesn't see um, the same fulfillment, perhaps, in raising children that uh, older generations did. They're like, I want to enjoy my life. And that's their right. You know, times have changed in many uh, advanced uh, economies around the world, and we have uh, low birth rates in all of them. So the thing that we need to do, and I've brought this up many times before, and it never gets a good reception, we need to open up immigration. We need to bring in people from Southeast Asia, Vietnamese. Uh, there's a whole group of people who would happily come to Taiwan and work as workers. Within a couple generations, they would be 100% Taiwanese. And it would also put a little bit of uh, strain on China's position, claiming that we are, you know, a part of China when we become a multi-ethnic society with many more other groups of people here. So the truth is that that's what we need to do, and no one's willing to talk about it. So I really don't care if they use chat GTP or whatever. We need to discuss the issue that was raised. And Ross, we'll talk about chat GPT here. Obviously, we started off with President Tsai Ing-wen saying things on social media that she might well have, she should have faced a camera and the people and said, do you think ChatGPT has a place in local government or central government? Not yet. Uh, the, the technology is new and it's still being uh, improved. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the analysis provided by ChatGPT had any value added in this particular circumstance. Agreed. So, so I, I kind of questioned the city councilor, like, why are you wasting time? You know, it's a stunt. Okay, I got... I got a lot of media attention. Uh, it kind of reminded me of a few weeks ago before uh, Ho Yi was formally uh, made the candidate for the Nationalist Party that there, there was some city council who tried to catch him, you know, being ignorant of international affairs, showed him, showed Ho Yi a bunch of flags from European countries and asked uh, Ho Yi to identify uh, which country the flag rep represented. He actually got it right. So the city council looked very foolish for doing that. Uh, well, all I could say is, is, is please, city councilors, county councilors, legislators, stop wasting time on the floor of the chamber. And, but are just, they wasting time? Yes, they because got the attention that they needed. The issues are being discussed. How is that wasting time? Because he, he he's basically saying, well, I asked ChatGPT and ChatGPT told us a bunch of stuff that we kind of already knew, right? There wasn't anything... The issue, though, the main issue here. behind what the person was bringing up is a huge existential issue for Taiwan. And the fact that Mayor Ho was able to identify the flags and make the other guy look foolish was also, in my view, excellent for Mayor Ho and made him um, look like a, a much more erudite and uh, international person than perhaps other people would have thought he was. We, you have to get attention somehow or another, and these are gimmicks, and that's how we do it. I mean, 
why why criticize them for for trying to get attention when that's what they're kind of supposed to do bring attention to issues anyway call me old-fashioned but i think the lawmakers and local councillors should write their questions on pieces of paper and stand (laughs) up and read them but that's just me anyway that's where we'll leave it here this week on taiwan this week and i've been joined in the studio today by ross feingold have a great weekend and on the telephone from gaoshung by michael smith Thank you for having me. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.